1: Hello, and welcome to The Career Confidant, and we're glad that you're joining us today. And we have an extra special guest, Marisol Maloney, who is a retired Navy veteran, a military spouse, and a recruiter. So she brings this experience from so many different angles. And Marisol, we're so excited to have you here today on The Career Confidant. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to chat with you today. <laughs> so you are passionate about helping transition service transitioning service members understand how to write a corporate resume and use LinkedIn for their job search and and really stand out as they're making that military to civilian transition. Tell us a little bit about why that's so challenging for a lot of our veterans today.
2: Well, a lot of them struggle with civilianizing the resume, basically, they tend to use a lot of military acronyms and jargon. And they all like to list a military rank instead of civilian equivalent titles. And they also tend to list a lot of their responsibilities that they did in the military versus actually listing their results with metrics. And it's just, a, it's just a mind shift, really, for them, because you're taught to write your evaluations a certain way. And so they feel that that applies in the civilian sector as well. And they don't understand that not every recruiter or hiring manager will have that military background. So they need to learn to yeah. translate that yeah. language.
1: I love that. I mean, the translating is so important, really, no matter what kind of industry transition someone is making, when someone's coming out of the military, it kind of has that additional challenge because that's the, the language they've been talking for a really long time.
2: Exactly. I mean, even in the civilian sector, the language is different. When I went from nursing to intel, it's different language. You have your medical terminology that you speak all the time. And then when you switch careers into something else, you have to learn that language as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard sometimes the military members or even I teach resume writers and I'll give them the feedback of, you know, get the military terms out of there. And they'll say, well, you know, why don't employers value the military? It's like it's nothing about value, it's about relevance and sounding like you're a fit in the new industry, which is not not the military if they're transitioning to civilian. That's the
2: key where you just hit the nail on the head showing how you fit into the culture. And we do have a lot of transferable skills. So one of the things I Tell my military clients is to really do some soul searching on what they want to do next post military career, because just because they were, for example, an aviation mechanic and they hated it while they were in the service, they don't have to do that same exact job when they get out. And a lot of them feel like that's what they're stuck with doing the rest of their lives because that's all they know, which is false. We have so many transferable skills. A lot of those skills could, you know, transfer into project management or co- customer success management, they have the skills. They just need someone to help them pull that out of them. And that's what I do. I'm like their translator. So I, I help them see the light on <laughs> yes. the civilian side.
1: <laughs> yeah. And as you said, that focus is so important because then you know where to dig in and what you're looking for. Um, tell me a little bit about some of the other mistakes you see them making on their resume in addition to the language piece.
2: Medals. We are so proud about our medals. We, we love our medals. Um, but a lot of them just list them. I'll have like a laundry list of, of just a bunch of medals that they've earned. And a lot of them will just list the acronym, like Navy Achievement Medal. They'll just write NAM and nothing else. They won't say what they got it for or anything. And, and so I tell them, hey, while, again, employers love veterans, they do, they don't understand what these medals mean. They mean something to you. Because in our uniforms, we we wear our medals. So it tells people where we've been and our accomplishments. It's kind of like we wear our resume on our chest, so to speak. But (laughs) now we need to translate it on paper. So I always tell them, if that medal that you got was not relevant to that job you're seeking, leave it out. It's okay to talk about your awards, but just listing them is not going to help you. It's better to just list the accomplishment of why you got that medal and just use that as a bullet instead. So that's what I do with my clients. I usually don't list their medals. I take the accomplishments from like the write-up that they get and put it as a bullet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that, what did you do to get that? And then what about that is going to appeal to this new job? For instance, I had a client a long time ago that wanted to become a policeman and he was really focused on the community aspect of it. And he had gotten a medal, but the medal was for his community work. He was in Iraq or Afghanistan. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. And the medal was specifically for the humanitarian efforts. And so it was like, well, we got to tell that story. You can't just list the medal. No one would have any idea that that's what that was for. And so we told the story as part of one of his bullet points. I love that.
2: Yeah, exactly. And sometimes like when I work with special operations uh, clients, they'll have a metal and it's very vague so they can't really say why they got it so i'm like then just leave it out it's not it's not going to help you it's not going to hurt you either but it's it's not going to help you per se so we just try to figure out other bullets that we can work in there instead so they need to be mindful of that too about not using classified projects or language on their resume so that's why uh My business is called Secret Scroll Consulting because I work with a lot of Secret Scrolls. A lot of veterans and transition service members have a top secret clearance. And so sometimes that's another mistake I see is that they'll either disclose some stuff they're not supposed to by accident or they'll scrub it completely. So it's so sanitized, so to speak, that now the employer has no idea what they did and they feel that they just don't know how to translate a lot of the classified stuff that they did, which is false. There's ways to tap dance around classified data. Um, And a lot of stuff is not even relevant to the jobs they're seeking next anyway. So I always tell people to read the job description. I always have my clients bring me at least three job descriptions and I teach them how to read the job descriptions and go line by line of the skills that they're looking for. And I just thought I asked them, do you know how to do this? And if they say yes, then okay, give me an example. And we use as a, as a bullet. So I really do teach them how to read job descriptions as well. So I don't just write their resume. I teach them how to read the job descriptions and moving forward, tailor their own resumes.
1: So important. So important to do that as they as they move forward. Now, I've just had someone post in our, so we have a career colleagues thought leadership group on Facebook and someone posted that they're starting to see military experience kind of buried at the bottom in an others other experience kind of situation when might that be okay for a service member to kind of put their military experience less prominent and when might that hurt them
2: if it's relevant if the experience is relevant to that job they are seeking i have seen that too well where some people have been out of the military for maybe five years. And then they'll say military experience at the very bottom. And some of the stuff is relevant and some of it isn't. So um, I work with a lot of military spouses as well who were military at one point, maybe got out like 10 years ago. And they want to put military experience at the very bottom, but a lot of it isn't relevant. So I'll use an example. I had a client that did, um, I think they did logistics or something like that, but they wanted to be a software engineer. And the stuff they did in the military was over 10 years ago and just wasn't relevant to what they were trying to do. So basically, I did like a new grad resume for her. So we only put on there the last two years that were relevant and took all that stuff out. So when you fill out an application, it'll ask if you had prior service. You could just say yes and then years of service and leave it at that. But you don't necessarily have to put that on your resume if it's not relevant. So, for example, I was a nurse. For 10 years in the military before I switched over to the intelligence community. If I'm going to stick to intel, I'm not going to list my nursing experience in the military. It's just not relevant anymore. So again, it just depends on the relevance that your background brings to that new career field.
1: Yeah, and you might want to shorten the military experience or sometimes put dates depending on how you're trying to position yourself. If you're mid-level and you don't want to come off as being super young, then you might put some of those dates on there. But it's just like any other experience. Is it relevant? Yes, then longer. If not, then shorter. (laughs) And I think we get... and. Also, I would say researching your target companies, right? If the target company has some kind of program for veterans, then you might want to have it a little bit more prominent, although you could just put that in the summary, not necessarily having to detail out the experience.
2: Exactly, exactly. And if um, some of the stuff is relevant, for example, I'll use U.S. Navy or U.S. Army as location or employer, previous employer for the dates that they worked. Again, if it's relevant, depending on how far back they want to go. But yeah, you can also do it in a summary section. There's different ways to present yourself, show people that you are a veteran. Again, it's if it's relevant. If it's not, then I just say leave it out. But for a lot of people, it's a sense of pride. You want people to know that you're a veteran. You want people to know that you served your country. Um, and it's just about storytelling. How well can you tell your story and make it relevant? So there's no real cookie cutter, no real format. For resumes, per se, I mean, each resume, you have to have your like major key points like your contact information, yeah, summary, top skills, and your experience section. But there's no one right way to do it. So it just depends on how you want to tell your story. The purpose of the resume, I always tell people this, is just to get your job interview. Basically, the resume is a ticket to the dance. And once you get invited to the dance, you got to dance your butt off. So the resume is not enough to uh, get you hired. You still need to know how to interview well and not use that military jargon and acronyms during the interview as well, because you can also blow your interview, even if you have a beautifully written resume.
1: Right. Yeah. So we're going to talk more about interviewing after the break. So we've got a a resume. We're thinking about that future focus. And then, as you said, kind of translating the experience, determining what's relevant to match up with what we're aiming for. And I love that ticket ticket to the dance. And it's got to tell the story, as you said, that is relevant for the job that they're targeting, right? Yes. Yeah. So we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about the interviewing and job search side and using LinkedIn piece of it. And speaking of which, if you're a career services provider and you're listening to this, we do have our certified digital branding class that we're kicking off here soon. And if you are listening to this after it started, don't worry, you can still join us if you want to build your brand on LinkedIn and help clients do the same. We'll take a short break and we'll be back here in just a few minutes and talk about interviewing and job search strategies for those transitioning out of the military. We'll be right back in just a few minutes.
3: That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation.
0: in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. When it comes to business, you'll find the
3: experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: Tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant.
1: Welcome back to The Career Confidant. Today we are talking with Marisol Maloney about how transitioning veterans can do a better job of connecting into that civilian and corporate world. So Marisol, we were just hinting at as we got into the, out of the last section about interviewing and how this conversation about translating your military speak, then it just follows you into the interview, right? So how do people show up better in, in their interviews when they're in this situation? I
2: always tell them to practice, practice, practice out loud. People make the mistake of thinking they can just wing it because when they're in the military, they probably would just wing uh, an interview or if they had to brief their boss, they would just wing it and they were fine. But in the interview uh, part of the job process, you really do have to prepare. You want to do a little bit of research on the company Uh, really understand what the job description is asking and ensure that your resume reflects that. So always tell them, practice, practice, practice. The common question they're always going to get asked is tell me about yourself. And man, does it throw people off. And so they start talking about the stuff that they did in the military or any volunteer service that they've done. And nobody cares about that stuff. They want to know what skills you have now that you bring to the table and how you can help that company solve that problem that they're hiring you to solve. Um, other questions that they tend to struggle with are behavioral questions. Mm. Tell me about a time that you disagreed with your boss. Tell me about a time that a client was unhappy with the project that you did for them. These are just examples and they may have hypothetical questions or they may have yes or no questions, simple yes or no question. And people tend to blow that as well. They'll go on and on and on and on and then never answer the actual question. So I always tell people, when you get asked a yes or no question, just answer yes or no. For example, do you like cookies? Yes, I do. Instead of saying, well, when I was little, my grandma used to make me oatmeal cookies and blah, blah, blah. They keep going on and on and on. And they have to remember that if it's a maybe a 30-minute interview or 20-minute interview, the interview is allotted a certain amount of, questions to ask you. So the longer you talk, you're actually shortchanging yourself by the number of interviews or uh, interview questions that they will ask you. So be mindful of that. So get to the point, keep your answers 30 to 90 seconds. And yes, some questions may take longer, especially if they ask you very specific technical questions, like how do you do this? How do you use this database? And then yes, you might take a little bit longer, but for the most part, pause after each question is asked, allow the interview to ask you the follow-on question if they have any.
1: I love that. And I always tell people to like, call and leave yourself a voicemail or use a speech notes, whatever, or a recorder on your phone to practice and to time yourself. And that way you can hear what you're saying I love video and video interviews definitely have a place too. But when you're first starting, video can be distracting. Then you're focused on like, what do I look like? And those types of things versus am I answering the question well? Am I articulate? Am I, you know, easy to listen to? So I like to focus on the audio first and then you can bring the video in after you've practiced. But I totally agree with you that people either go on and on or they might be too short for a question like a tell me about yourself question or tell me about a time question, and then they they aren't really telling a story.
2: Exactly, exactly. They need to uh, learn to get to the point. And the intelligence community would like to say, give me the bluff, the bottom mm-hmm. line up front. So tell me what you're all about, and then you can give me your background story. So that's your 30-second elevator pitch, basically, in an interview when they ask you, tell me
1: about yourself. I like that bluff. That's a good one. Uh, okay, so we get into... the the interview by job searching. So I know you, one of the things that you help people do is use LinkedIn in their job search. What are some of your top tips for these individuals using LinkedIn? To actually use it and be active and
2: optimize it, have an actual decent headline, have a professional headshot. There's an organization called Portraits for Patriots they do free headshots for transitioning military veterans and even the military spouses. So you get one free headshot. And yes, you can purchase other packages if you want, but you do get one free uh, headshot. So you want to look professional. You have a lot of service members that have already, or maybe already transitioned, with pictures of them in their uniform and they're always like frowning, very serious. And I tell them, like, it's okay to smile now. You're a civilian now. Show that you're happy or happier. So it's okay to smile. So get a professional headshot done or, you know, use your phone and use it in portrait mode. Have a nice, clean background and, you know, just smile if you don't have time to go to a professional photographer. Um, But there are so many options. And also your background photo. um, Optimize it. Put on there what you're about. Maybe you're a project manager. Maybe you're a nurse. There are a lot of skills that we did in the military that transfer over. Uh, Make sure you fill out your uh, experience section completely. Your volunteer section, if you have it. Your skills section. LinkedIn gives you up to 50 skills to fill up. Use them up. There's a recommendation section. So if you have any peers or supervisors that you serve with that aren't on LinkedIn, ask them for recommendations. It's even better if you probably write it yourself and just have them endorse it because sometimes people get busy and they may forget about you. So you need to give people a gentle nudge sometime and some will like write it right away and also make sure that you're writing recommendations for others. So it's about giving before taking from LinkedIn. So you have to optimize your profile in order for recruiters to find you because they're typing in keywords. So I see a lot of transitioning service members just write transitioning service member on their headline or veteran and not say what they're actually trying to look for next. So if you're trying to be a project manager, write project manager as your headline. But Marissa, I'm not a project manager yet, but you will be. Those are the jobs that you're targeting. And when recruiters use LinkedIn recruiter, they do keyword searches for actual job titles they're not looking for veteran necessarily or transitioning service member they're looking for project manager registered nurse aviation mechanic logistics manager those are the type of titles that they're searching people for and the more skills that you have listed the more recruiters will find you and come to you so i got job offers from recruiters coming to me on linkedin because my profile was optimized And I used it often. I was on there. At first, I was a lurker. We all start off as lurkers. We don't know how to use LinkedIn, how to navigate. So that's something that I teach my clients as well is how to navigate it. I tell them it's like having a gym membership. If you don't use it, you're not going to see results. So the more you use LinkedIn, the more results you're going to see. And it takes a while. And people are afraid to post. And that's okay. You don't have to post. But you can read other people's posts and leave a thoughtful comment. Because now that person's network will see that comment and that network, it, it just spreads. It's it's a big network. So you never know who's going to see your comment. It could be another recruiter or it could be a hiring manager. And they're going to be like, oh, you know what? Marie had a really thoughtful comment. Let me look at her profile, see what she does. And be like, oh my God, I want to hire her. So you might have recruiters reach out to you that way as well. So always leave thoughtful comments and likes and try not to engage. and divisive topics on LinkedIn because it could be off-putting and you set yourself up for biases. So just saying, use it wisely.
1: Yes. Every comment relates to your brand or people are going to judge by every comment. That doesn't mean you can't have a voice and have a stand, but you do want to be thoughtful of what will people think about this and how does it portray me as a professional Um, on LinkedIn. So we talked a little bit about that There's some free services that military services transitions are offered, but obviously there's a huge community of you all out there that help these individuals on a paid basis. How do people decide what they use for free, and then when it's time to go hire someone like you to help? I always encourage people to
2: do the free route first, but most importantly, I I try to talk to work on it themselves first, so they can really understand the process. Yes, there are a lot of free services out there for veterans. Some are, are hit or miss. Some You might get lucky and get a decent resume writer. And other times, you're just a cookie cutter resume that you're going to get. That's that's what they're going to give you. And I've had to fix some of those, actually, where the client was like, I did the free service, but I wasn't getting job interviews. and It didn't really make sense, and it took them four weeks to give it back to me, and then it had the wrong person's name on it, because a lot of these organizations, they mean well, they really do, but they get an influx of veterans asking for these services, and so they are overwhelmed. With that being said, be careful of fee-based services, because there are some people that will just take your money too. So regardless of whether you do the free service or pay someone to do your resume, find out who their clients have been and their success rate as well. Because there are people out there taking advantage of anybody, not just veterans, but anybody, civilians as well. They're just taking your money and writing you a crappy resume. Because I've also fixed cheap resumes that someone pay like $50 online. And then I've also fixed $1,000 resumes. So sometimes it's not the resume writer. So with that being said, sometimes the resume writer might be a good writer, a legit writer, but... The service member failed to articulate what they did in the military.
1: Or their focus. I find that if someone's unhappy with their resume, a lot of times it's because they weren't focused when they went to that resume writer. And it just, it's hard to write a resume without a job aim. Exactly.
2: Which is why I have a process in place. I have them give me three job descriptions of jobs they want to seek out next. I don't look at their evaluations or any of that stuff that other resume writers may ask for. I don't ask for any of that stuff. I am basically interviewing them. So my consultations are via Zoom so they can see I'm a real person. I'm not in India somewhere where (laughs) some of the resume writers are. So I tell them, you know, this is me. This is who I am. Get to meet you via Zoom. You can ask me all the questions that you want. And I also give them some veteran advice from, you know, I'm a fellow veteran. I went through the transition, so I'll share some of my experiences. And I also share other veteran resources depending on uh, what I feel they need. So I really do tailor every consultation to individual needs. And same thing with the resumes. I don't do cookie cutter resumes. And my resumes aren't pretty. They're effective. They're just black and white Word documents. I don't do charts. I don't do graphs. I make them easy to read and also for the ATS to parse
1: that information over. Yeah. You know, the well, test tell people ATS. a little bit about where they can find you and how they can get a hold of you. Where can they learn I from?
2: am on LinkedIn and I have a little link on my profile that says book an appointment with me and it'll take you to my Calendly So if you want to do just a 30-minute consultation with me or you want an actual rewrite, I also do resume reviews. And then I have what I call the secret scroll package where I also teach you how to answer interview questions, salary negotiation, and I rewrite your resume.
1: Yes, and you share wonderful, yeah, you share wonderful, helpful information on LinkedIn. So I hope people will go find you, Marisol Maloney there on LinkedIn and get some of that information. So one tip, last tip, what do you say for a military transition person who's just getting started? Network. Let people
2: know you're looking for a job. A lot of people just keep it to themselves, and so nobody knows to help you. And then you're all you're just say, uh, "I'm looking for a job," but you're not being specific. You have to say, "I am actively seeking a project management management job in San Francisco, California. I am available to start December 1st of 2023." Like, be as specific as you can. Let your network know and network with other veterans as well. And if you're seeking out mentorship on LinkedIn, before you ask people for help, build that relationship first. And then, you know, go in for the ask. But if you just go to up to a complete stranger and say, hey, can you help me with my job search? You're probably going to be like, who are you? Like, I don't know who you are. So make sure you build those relationships first. But, yes, let your network know that you're actively seeking new job opportunities, post-military career.
1: Yes, and don't assume that you know who knows everybody. I'll hear people say, oh, but I only know other people in X, in the military, in my geographic location, whatever. No, you don't, because those people know people that you don't know they know. (laughs) Exactly. And it's going to blossom very quickly for you. It could be your
2: neighbor as well. Always tell them networking doesn't have to be this big to do. You can network with your child's teachers or soccer coach or other parents. Some of those parents are hiring managers or recruiters, so pick their brains.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing your expertise, Marisol. And I know that our military transition members, as well as our career service providers that work with them, have gotten a lot out of this. So I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So we'll take a short break here on the Career Confidant. We'll say goodbye to Marisol, but we'll be right back and we'll continue on. So thank you all. And we'll be right back here on the Career Confidant.
3: Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy.
2: and saying what you think needs to be said. This is your host, Molly Chang. I'll help you find the right words to tackle any challenging conversation you've been avoiding. Whether you're part of a small
1: project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. You'll learn how to achieve success on your terms and be
2: happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in your life. Check out SayItSkillfully.com for practical resources, including my 90 second videos, real-life examples showing you how to speak up skillfully. I invite you to call in with your questions. Join me live every Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. And no, I'm cheering for you.
3: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: Hello, and welcome back to The Career Confidant. And we were just talking about military transition. And we've talked a lot about industry transition, military transition lately, because this is a time where a lot of people are making a transition of some sort, whether that's job to job or industry to industry, or perhaps to a whole new career field. And I wanted to talk a little bit about how we can help our job seekers, our, our career changers specifically, figure out how they want to move next? What do they want to do next? And this is a conversation that I have with people all the time. uh, As we do our career transition coach program, I'm always getting coaches that are interested in that. And it is kind of a process all in and of itself. How do you figure out what do you want to do next with your career? And when I first started my career journey, (laughs) and I got my master's degree actually in counseling and career development, There's not many programs in the U.S. on that topic, but counseling and career development. And we learned the career development theory that went underneath helping someone make a career decision. And a lot of the work that we did was more early career. So how do you help someone in a university setting or even a high school setting figure out what they might want to do next? And as you can imagine, at that level, there's a lot of assessments that we can do to help people figure out what are their aptitudes? Uh, what are their interests? What are their strengths? And they did just a host of, of different assessments that I learned that we could use with individuals of all ages, but they were particular for that age group. And then when I started my career coaching practice, all of the people I was seeing were more mid-level. They were at the middle of their career and they didn't want to start over. And the challenge with a lot of the assessments that we do in, in, in our field is they give people ideas that aren't necessarily connected to what they've already been doing. So therefore, you would have to go back and get a degree. So for instance, you might take an interest assessment and it says, oh, you would like to be an engineer. Well, that's great. But if you don't have an engineering background, you'll have to go back to school for that, which I found that very few individuals in midlife wanted to do. Even if they had the money, that idea of starting over and, You know, how do I make money so that I can take care of my kids and the interim and all of those things? It just was this challenge of how do you help people figure out what they want to do different while they're using the skills they already have? while they're building on that career they've already had. As Marisol said, you know, you've got these transition, these um, you have these transferable skills. <laughs> I find that when we say that word, we usually go to this very fluffy place, but you do have skills that can go help you do other things. And first you've got to figure out what does that look like? And so when people would come into my office, I said, okay, let's put the assessments aside for a little bit. And let's think about what is the essence of what we're trying to do. We're trying to figure out, okay, what skills do you want to use? That kind of boils down to what do you want to do every day? What do you want to do every day? What tasks, what duties, what skills that you want to do every day? And so I would do what I called an energy inventory with people. Nothing fancy about it. Just what things did you do that gave you energy throughout your career or maybe even a volunteer situation? And then what things that you've done detracted from your energy. They they took your energy away. And we just make a long list, the things that you like to do, the things that gave you energy and the things that stole your energy. And we'd say, okay, so how can we get more of these types of skills, duties, tasks that you do every day and less of these? And we'd start there. Now, a lot of times those duties, those tasks we do every day, are pretty obvious of how they align to a job, right? Oh, I liked leading people. All right, so we're looking for manager, supervisor, those types of jobs, or opposite a lot of times, I didn't like leading people. Okay, so we're taking those jobs and we're putting them less um, importance. Then we think about what do you like to do? What jobs get to do those skills? And since we're talking to midlife career people, a lot of times they have a good idea of the people that do those skills. If not, then we can go in and we can do some searches in our industry systems in LinkedIn, or this is one of the things I love right now about ChatGPT is you can put into ChatGPT that you wanna use these skills. You can even put in some of your background and it will give you ideas of jobs that you might like to do. We don't want to, as a coach, tell our clients, necessarily, you know, this might be good for you. I always consider a brainstorming exercise and that's why ChatGPT or some of BARD, all of those systems can be helpful because it's just a brainstorm. We're not going to ask it to tell us our ideal job or our dream job. Nobody wants anybody else to tell them what their dream job should be. So we go through and we brainstorm ideas and then our, our job seekers get to choose those. What are they going to choose those on? a lot of times by the other factors so skills or strengths or the what you do is obviously just one factor then you have where what type of people do you want to work with and that kind of goes into the industry the types of people you work with every day the types of problems you solve The uh, you know the industry that you work in may give us an opportunity to make a transition and so if you've been in let's say the military you're transitioning industries kind of de facto unless you're going to work for a military contractor you're transitioning industries so what type of industry would you like to work in what type of problems would you like to solve do you see yourself in nonprofit or for profit are you working with you know these types of products or those services based businesses and so there's just a lot of options there now when i first started doing this work to <laughs> date myself just a little bit although it was already going out of out of fashion when i started doing this but we would use the the index from the yellow pages because it lists all the categories and as that quickly started going out when i first started doing this work we started using the table of contents in the business journal what i loved about that is that it was local So if you are looking for a local job, if you get your local business journal, your local business directory, in whatever fashion you can get it, the categories in there are going to be the businesses that exist in your community. And if you want to work locally and and in person, (laughs) that gives you that opportunity to really say, okay, what types of businesses might I want to work with that are local? If you want to work remote, now you can do the same thing, but you'll just search for remote fully remote companies or fully distributed or remote-first companies, and that will give you some ideas of what industries are prevalent in those types of searches. So now we've got the what we want to do and we've got the where we want to do it, and we start to put those two pieces together. Now, as a coach, my challenge here becomes helping people work through all of the (laughs) butts, <laughs> you know, if your butt's too big, you're not going anywhere. So we work through all of that. Well, I'd love to do this, but, or that's interesting, but everybody's got limitations, challenges, whether it's because of, you know, a disability or age or where you live or your technical desires or skills, everybody has some kind of limitations. And our goal is to brainstorm first and then filter. If we filter too quickly, we don't brainstorm enough, then we don't have anything left when we get to the bottom of the filter, right? When you think about it, you've got a funnel and you only put like three grains of sand in there. Only three grains of sand are coming out. <laughs> if you put a whole bucket in there, you know, it's going to slowly filter out. We want to find a happy medium that we've got some ideas, not an overwhelming amount. And then we're helping get down through that funnel. That decision-making process is where a lot of our fears come in, our biases about ourselves, let alone others' biases about us, and we start to struggle with reality that could I actually make this happen? We've got the fear of success and the fear of failure. We've got the you know all of the obstacles we create for ourselves in addition to the obstacles that may actually exist out in the world and they do. That's our goal as a career services provider is to help individuals work through all of that. Our clients are the ones that read the self-help books, (laughs) did all those assessments, and couldn't put the pieces together for themselves. And there's nothing wrong with that. It is a complex, challenging process to be able to do that, to figure out what is next for me. And we may make it too much, we may make it bigger than it needs to be. So I'll talk to a lot of people and we'll find that a slight shift may actually solve the problem. So working with a lawyer who wanted to get out of the legal practice, pretty common, and thinking about what do you do next. He researched kind of all these big ideas and they were big and fun, and, but they weren't going to work. They weren't realistic. And what we ended up finding was a role at the university in the legal office at the university where he helped students that came in, you know, with leases and landlords and typical student stuff and I'm sure things that weren't typical. And he loved it because it wasn't necessarily the work that was the problem. It was all the stuff outside of work, which those of us that run a business can, you know, <laughs> can empathize with the business, the marketing, the hiring, the all of those things were draining him. The actual legal work he loved. So he went to a role where, yes, he had a lower salary, but he didn't have all that junk to deal with, and he could do the work he loved, feel good about it at the at the end of the day, and go home. So sometimes there's a small tweak in role or a small tweak in industry that we can help mid-career changers identify so they don't have to start over. They don't have to have this huge production on top of all the other things we have going on in our lives, when we're at that fo- at that pl- place, they can find a place to plug in, feel better, feel more successful, feel more fulfilled, and yet still be building on that career that they've already built. And that's this wonderful place that we get to play as a career services provider, is to help people untangle what seems like such easy questions. What do you want to do and where do you want to do it? There's a lot underneath that and a lot of complexity in making that decision and then moving it forward. We're going to take a short break and when we come back on Career Confident, I'm going to give you some thoughts on how to put that together in a way that you can make it more actionable and get I'll, it's gonna be a little bit different than what you think. So we'll come take a short break and we'll be right back in just a few minutes. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn,
3: Are you a business owner, 1099 contractor, part-time employee, or volunteer who needs group health coverage you can actually afford? Do you know a nonprofit who would benefit from unlimited zero-cost funding? How about cost reduction, school safety, mental health wellness, and more? All these and more are fair game on finding certainty. If you want more certainty in your own life, you are not alone. Join us each Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. Find your own brand of certainty and realize your personal American dream with Finding Certainty, hosted by Patrick Lang. Let's unwrap the certainty experience together. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
0: tuned in to the career confidant with marie zimanoff if you have a question or comment for marie or her guests today please call 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you may also send an email to marie at strategicadvantage.com now back to the career confidant
1: Welcome back to The Career Confidant, and I just want to talk about expectation setting when we're doing coaching or when you're working with a coach. Here's one of the things that I've seen is that people will come into a career coach's office and they'll say, here's all this stuff about me. Tell me what I should be. That's a dangerous question. And here's what usually happens is the coach might fall into that and they'll give you a suggestion And what's the first thing you think? Well, that won't work because this is the challenge is that as a career transitioner, you want someone to give you a direction. It's hard to be in that place of uncertainty, to not know where you're going. And I get that. However, just because of human nature, and because of human complexity, there's no way that someone could look at your materials and tell you what you should be. And there's no way a technology could do that either, whether it's an assessment, or ChatGPT, or what have you, no matter how much information you gave it, it is very unlikely that it would come out and tell you something to be that you would be like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. One, because you're more complex than that. And two, because it's human nature that we just don't want anybody to tell us what to do. I have a five and a seven-year-old, so I'm very aware of this fact that we do not like to be told what to do, even when we don't really like the uncertainty that we're in either. And this will happen with all kinds of people that would come into my office and do that. A military transition, I'm maybe a little bit more used to having that structure, having someone tell me what the next job going to look like. So they would do it. and And they might even say, oh yeah, that sounds good but then they, they they all everything unfolds and you say well wait, wait a minute there's other options yes there are now as coaches our challenge is to not accept that bait because even though someone is asking us what they should do in job search and career transition whatever it might be that's really not what they're asking they're asking what would be the best for me and the only way to For them to figure that out is actually through their own self-discovery. challenge, of course, is that this takes longer than just telling someone what to do. But as any of us who have been parents, aunts, uncles, heck, even just owned a pet, we know that telling any being what to do isn't a long-term solution because then you have to keep telling them exactly what to do if you're not teaching. And coaching isn't even really teaching. It's finding that internal wisdom Because each of our clients has a unique expertise in their life, their experience that we just can't have. And so our goal is to create the structure to provide the questions and some assessments and some tools that help someone uncover those answers within themselves. And it's going to take longer than just telling them what to do, but it will get to a better answer. And we have to believe that. And if you've been a coach and made those mistakes where you tried to give people advice and then it backfires, you realize that you do get to a better answer when it's their answer. Two, it will give them the buy-in and the ownership and the confidence to go out and take the actions towards achieving that. And when you're talking about career transition, especially if people don't have the buy-in to what they've chosen man every single step after that's going to be hard and even when we're talking about job search right if people don't have the buy-in they won't go out and execute and salary negotiation this is a big one because a lot of coaches will say there's only one way to salary negotiate salary only one way then i'll hear another coach say there's this is the only one way and i went oh there's not only one way and that means that i can work with my clients Give them the menu, if they will, of all of the different ways they can do it and help them figure out the best way for them. Bonus, then they're more likely to actually go and do it, to have the confidence to say that when they're negotiating their salary. We as coaches... We kind of get called on because we've got this expertise in job search or this expertise in career transition we have to be careful not to let that go to our heads because what people really need is a guide they're the expert we're the guide and we're we don't need to be an expert in their career field there might be some help to that but there's also oftentimes some challenge there because if i'm an expert in technology I'm more likely to tell people what they should do and even if I am an expert, it's going to get in the way of them doing what is best for them and doing it with ownership and with confidence and with motivation because we are all, as humans, less likely to have any of those things when it's what somebody else told us to do. So one of our goals at Career Thought Leaders and all the training that we do all the programs that we run, is to help our individual coaches and resume writers learn how to be the guide and not the expert. And there are times when we put on our expert hat and there are times that we've got the, we've got some information to share and that's okay. But then we set that back down and we ask our client, how does that fit for you? Or what, do, what about that information would work for your next step? What do you want to do with that information? Because information is just that. It's just information. And if all people needed was information, they wouldn't come to a coach. They can read everything you'd ever want to know about almost any topic online. And now at a split second with the generative AI tools, they don't need more information. They don't need more advice. They need someone to sit there, sift through that with them, uncover their their internal expertise, and then help them apply that in a way that makes sense based on our expertise. They work together. They weave together. You have both of them working at the same time, this internal expertise of pulling from the client and, and coming alongside to guide that and, and mold that based on what we have learned throughout our work. Coaches, be careful about selling your expertise and your information. That is not your value. Be careful of people who would tell you that you don't add value because you don't have industry expertise or whatever that might be. Build your coaching skills. Build that ability to guide instead of teach. And that will make you a differentiator in the market even as these generative tools start coming in because no generative coach can do that. They can give advice, which is fine. It's great. They still can not help the individual pull out their own wisdom, act upon it, build a plan with it, and move forward with that information. So that's our job as coaches. And if you are seeking a coach, if you're going to hire a coach, be careful of overemphasizing people with expertise. You can read that online. What you want in a coach is someone that has the coaching skills to help you make a decision for yourself based on your own expertise in your life, in your industry, and whatever that might be. They are there to be the guide. And it just it's so important to think about that. We're doing a, a class on October 11th focusing on transformational coaching in the career space and how that looks different. And if you're interested in that, you go to careerthoughtleaders.com and our events page, uh, again, coming on October 11th, that transformational coaching and how we can do that in the career space, even though we sometimes wear that expert hat. We'll be right back here on The Career Confidant next week, talking to an expert in burnout. So if you're experiencing that or know clients who are, join us next week here on The Career Confidant, and we look forward to helping you with taking control of your career. We'll see you right back here again next week on The Career Confidant.
0: Thank you for listening to The Career Confidant. Marie Ziminoff will return again with another terrific guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to join us then.